Thank you, preacher. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to the book of Ecclesiastes. That's in the Old Testament. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, and if you would stand for the reading of God's Word, Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 1. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem, Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What profit hath a man of all his labor, which he taketh unto the sun? One generation passeth away, and another generation cometh, but the earth abideth forever. The sun also ariseth, and the sun goeth down, and hasteth to his place where he arose. The wind goeth toward the south, and turneth about unto the north. It whirleth about continually, and the wind returneth again according to his circuits. All the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full. Unto the place from whence the rivers come, thither they return again. By the, by the way, let me just stop here and say something. There is scientific fact after scientific fact that they would have had no way of knowing had not God not revealed that to them. If you notice as we're reading this, he's telling us things that men did not discover for centuries later. And yet here in the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon, the man of great wisdom, the man who basically was the wisest man on earth at that time, is telling us scientific facts. Look at verse 7. All the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full. Unto the place whence the rivers come, thither they return again. All things are full of labor. Man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. The thing that hath been, it is that which shall be. And that which is done, is that which shall be done. And there is no new thing under the sun. Is there anything there? Is there anything whereof it may be said, See, this is new? It hath been already of old time, which was before. There is no remembrance of former things, neither shall there be any remembrance of things that are to come with those, excuse me, with those that shall come after. Lord, we are so grateful to be here once again. And Lord, once again, thank you for the preaching and the teaching. Lord, thank you for the singing and the fellowship. Lord, we want to just praise and honor your name now and say thank you for your dear precious son that came to Calvary to die on the cross, be buried and resurrected so that tonight we can stand on resurrection ground. And Father, we're asking you once again to speak to our hearts and our minds through the Word of God and change our lives accordingly. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. A few years ago, I was listening to an interview with a nationally, and as a matter of fact, an internationally known comedian. Some of you may recognize his name. His name is Jim Carrey. Uh, Jim Carrey said this. He said, I wanted to be the funniest man in the world. He said, not only that, he said, I wanted to be the most wealthy comedian in the world, and I wanted to be the most well-known comedian in the world. And he said, I got there, and it wasn't there. What Jim Carrey was saying is, I put all of my life into those three goals, I achieved those goals, and when I arrived there, it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. I remember seeing an interview with a football player that some of you may recognize his name. His name was Lyle Alzado. 
Lyle Alzado at one time was the most feared man in football. As a matter of fact, they interviewed some of his opponents in the interview that they were interviewing him with, and they said we dreaded to get on the football field because they said he wasn't just the opponent on the other team. They said this man wanted to hurt you, and he would do whatever was necessary in a game to hurt you. This man became a hulk of a man. It got so out of control, he got so out of control and so violent that he said, I knew I'd gone too far. Whenever I pulled up to a stop sign, there was an 18-wheeler parked in front of me. Don't know what he was doing, texting, whatever. The light turned red, the light turned green, the light turned back red. And he said, I was so angry that that man didn't pull out from that light. He said, I jumped out of my car, ran over to where there was a pile of railroad ties. Now, if you've never tried to lift a railroad tie, uh, I'm telling you, those things are ridiculous heavy. He picked up a railroad tie in his rage and rammed it like a battering ram into the door of that man's 18-wheeler. He was arrested for that, and he said, I knew my life was out of control. He said, I wanted to be the most feared man in football, and I was. He said, I wanted to be one of the best football players of all time, and I was. He said, I wanted to become filthy rich playing football, and he did. But during the interview, listen very carefully, during the interview, he looked like a concentration camp victim. His face was gaunt, his body was emaciated, and let me tell you why because he achieved all of those things by pumping his body full of steroids continually and eventually it went into his internal organs and it destroyed his body. He got severe cancer and died of that. He got there, but it wasn't there. He achieved all those things that he was trying to achieve, but when he did achieve that, what he found out, it wasn't there. Let me explain what this word vanity means. First of all, it's used 38 times in this book, and I don't think that's an accident, because it was 38 years that Israel wandered in the wilderness from Sinai to the Promised Land. Aimlessly, they just wandered around disobeying God, obeying God at times, but disobeying God most of the time and really what happened to them is they left Egypt looking for something and they never found it. It wound up being vanity for them. It wasn't there. It wasn't in what they thought it was going to be. And so when you come to this book and Solomon uses this word 38 times, I think there's a reason for that. But not only that, the word itself means to reach to try to get something and then it's not there. To keep reaching and keep trying to get it and it's not there. That's what vanity means. It means empty. In other words, you go up to the pot and you're looking for soup and there's nothing in the pot. You go here and you go there and you're looking for something and when you get there, it's not there. Now, as you read down through this, it's very obvious what this man is saying. He is describing some outstanding things, as I said, scientific facts that men did not know at that time, and he probably didn't fully understand, but he knew that whenever it rained, it filled up the rivers, and the rivers would flow to the sea, and they would evaporate and go back up into the clouds and come back over, and that's the circuits that it's referring to, when he's referring to the wind and how it blows. Men didn't understand all that and the currents of the earth and how that works, but God had obviously 
obviously giving him, given him that information. And so he is spewing out things that is just absolutely outstanding. But at the end of all this, let me explain what he said. The sun comes up and the sun goes down. I can see you're excited about this. <laughs> let me explain what he said. It rains. The water goes into the water in the rivers. It evaporates. It goes out to the sea. The seas never fill up because it evaporates. And then it rains again and it keeps going like this. Whew. Let me talk to this side for just a minute. <laughs> Something's wrong over there. I don't know what it is, but I'll be back in a minute. Um, try this. Now, now, don't just start running to the altar when I say this, okay? The sun comes up and the sun goes down. I'm going back over here. The wind blows and it is caught in the earth, in the rotation of the earth. And as a result of that, you have circuits of wind that blow around the earth. We know that. I used to live in Valentine, Nebraska. And Valentine, Nebraska has the worst weather of any place in the United States of America because the jet stream literally goes right over the top of that place. And I remember as a kid, we pulled in there. And in about 15 minutes, it went from 80 degrees to 30 degrees. And it was snowing. Yeah. <laughs> See, they got it. You didn't get it. They got it. I had to bring up something personal like Valentine, Nebraska, but they got it. He's saying, I've watched all this over and over and over and over and over and over again. And watch this. And there's nothing new under the sun. What does that mean, preacher? That means I've seen this until it is ad nauseum. I've seen this until it doesn't excite me anymore. When my wife and I moved to Colorado 19 years ago, I'm telling you, we would look out the window every day and just stare at the Rocky Mountains. Beautiful, gorgeous. I'm telling you, just beyond gorgeous. And in the wintertime, snow-capped mountains. In the summertime, snow-capped mountains. <laughs> just absolutely beautiful. If you've been there, you know what I'm talking about. As a matter of fact, one of the greatest lines of one of the songs that is written is called Purple Mountains Majesty. I don't know if you know it or not, but that was written by a woman who was looking at the Rocky Mountains because there are times that the sun sets over the Rocky Mountains and when it does, it looks like the mountains are on fire because of the reflection of the sun and the clouds and back down on the mountain. Oh, I'm telling you, it was gorgeous. And my wife would say, come here and look at this. Come here and look at this. Every day, come here and look. I'd run over to the windows. We would stand there and look at that and just be in awe. Now she says, after 19 years, come and look at this. And I'm saying, hang on just a minute. I want to see if Joe Biden comes on. <laughs> now that's how disconnected we have become from where we were. It was beautiful. It was gorgeous. The mountains haven't changed. I've seen them a lot now. When we first moved there, we were up there constantly. I haven't been in the mountains for almost two years. Yeah, I know. We get quiet like that, too, when we think about it. I've got those beautiful mountains right next to me, and now I drive by them, and I don't drive by like this. I'm just driving because I've seen them over and over again. It's not tripping my trigger anymore. Let me explain what Solomon said. 
he said, I have seen all this that God has made. And he was in awe of that. But now he's seen it over and over and over and over again. That's what he says. And let me explain what has happened. Vanity has set in on him because now he's trying to find something to replace that whoopee that he once had in just seeing a sunset or a sunrise or seeing a rainstorm and smelling that beautiful smell that you smell when there's fresh rain on the ground. All those things that he once saw and he was once excited about, now it's not exciting anymore. And he said, I'm going to have to do something about this. And let me explain what he did. He went out and he got wine, women, and song. Read the rest of the chapters. This whole book is just, it's a revelation of what's taking place with this man who got bored with life and decided that he had to find something else and here's what he said every time I looked this is what I found more vanity more vanity more vanity why preacher because he got tired of that and he got tired of that and he got tired of that and pretty soon it was just all his vanity Every time I reach, it's not there. Every time I search, it goes away. Every time I grab for it, it slips out of my hands. Let me stop here and make a comment. This is the progressive church movement in America today. Yeah, right. That's right. They're trying to find something that is exciting now, and let me explain why. Do you realize that singing the same songs over and over and over, you know, the the six songs that we sing in our services, because that's about all we sing out of the hymn book, those songs that we sing over and over and over again, when you first got saved and when I first got saved and I walked into a church and I heard amazing grace, how sweet the sound, and when they got to that part that saved a wretch like me, I would stand there and I would weep. Just thanking God that a wretch like me could be saved. But you know as well as I do, you sing that a couple thousand times, and it starts getting routine. I was just down at Heartland Baptist Bible College preaching, and uh, just before I preached, they got up to sing a song, and uh, Brother Copes, the executive vice president, turned to me and he said, you want a hymn book? I said, no, I know this one. Because I've sung it 3,000, 5,000, 10,000 times. And it starts losing its luster. Wow, it's quiet. You know what happens. We stand up and we sit down at the same time in every service. I decided, Brother Woodcock, several services ago just to disrupt everything. And I didn't take up an offering. And I literally had deacons sitting out there going. (laughs) One of them bent over the pew in front of him where the offering plates are and picked it up and went. (laughs) You talk about disturbance. (laughs) Then I decided to really wreck the place. And I told our song leader, I said, don't sing anything. Just get up and announce that I'm preaching. I'm telling you, people are passing out. (laughs) Because we stand up at the same time and we sit down at the same time. And if you don't think so, just change it this much. Yeah, right. 
let me explain how this works. We always stand up in our church when we read the Word of God. And so I decided one day just to mess with them. And I got up and I said, now I'm going to read the Word of God. And everybody went, and I said, but don't stand right now. And so they all sat back down. And I started reading. And they're totally puzzled. Because this is what we do every time. And do you know what happens to us when we do it every time? Listen, don't tell me it doesn't get old. And sometimes even boring. But the cure is not to repeat the same verse 55 times. The cure is not to figure out some method, some way that's going to get that group excited. Let me explain why. Because eventually, preacher, they will look at you and say, there's nothing new in this church. I'm going to find another one where there's a greater sunset, where there's a greater sunrise, where something can thrill me again, where something can generate something in me again, and it will never happen. I watched this happen in Springfield, Missouri. I watched the charismatic churches literally build massive buildings and go crazy with all kinds of programs and all kinds of just total insanity in church and that one would get old and the next one would would crop up and they would build a bigger building and it would get bigger and better and bigger and better but let me explain where that started it started in Tulsa, Oklahoma with a lunatic that got on television and told people that he was healing people you may not remember these people because they're from far past time But as time went on, guess what happened? Got old. I mean, he just got healed. What's the big deal? So do you know what we had to do? Stand up, let me show you. Come on. See, he does the same thing. He never does that, so he doesn't know. Stand right here. Stand over here behind him. No, face me. Face me. Stand behind We went from a man on television saying, you're healed. And people being healed. Or so they thought. But that got old. And they said, now what we got to do is pop them on the forehead. <laughs> I've been waiting all week for this. Close your eyes, son. It ain't going to hurt for long. <laughs> and then we got to have catchers to catch them. Close your eyes. It's, it's, it won't hurt very long. And so, I don't know whether they're spitting on their hands or getting their hands wet. <laughs> Close your eyes. I don't know what they're doing, but I do know this. It's good theatrics because when they pop them on the head, the oil that they put on their hands just goes, Psh. it looks like a Rocky movie. You got your eyes open. Quit that. And so they pop the person on the head. He falls back and they catch him. I'm telling you, you can sit down. Thank you very much. You're terrible, but thank you. I love this. I'm watching one of these. Back when I was sick and I had to stay home, I said, I'm going to watch some of this stuff just to see what it's like. I'm watching this. And one of the catchers missed this lady. 
I said, she really needs to be healed now because the back of her head's all crushed in. She, I mean, he came up and went boom, and she went whack, and he wasn't watching, and she hit the floor. And he picked her up, and she's dazed, but she's healed. <laughs> we went from that. Are you ready? We went from that to put your hands on the television set. And if you'll just put your hands on the TV set. Apparently, I was around too many carnival people when I grew up. Because this is nothing more than old carny tricks. And they said, put your hands on the TV set. And if you put your hands on the TV set and you have this disease, you are healed. Um, excuse me, how are you ever going to know whatever happened? They're out there in TV land. And then we went from that to the pink-haired lady. Some of you remember her. Her last name is Crouch. Her husband and her had a TV program. And I think that's still on. I'm not sure. TBN, is that a TBN? No, you're not going to ante up, are you? <laughs> TBN. And she's sitting there with Benny Hinn, the vortex of all this insanity. And she even goes beyond him because they start talking about traveling around and preaching around different places. And she said this. She said, I was reading in the Bible. That's amazing. I was reading in the Bible and I noticed that there was a man who was transported miraculously from one place to another. And you could see the color draining out of Benny Hinn's face because he knew where she was going with this. She said, you know, I don't even think we need airplanes anymore. And I thought to myself, just go up on a high point and jump. (laughs) He starts choking. He doesn't know what to say. He's stumbling around with this. And now she is cranked up and she's talking about being transported. But let me explain something. We're going down the same exact road. I'm not talking about healing and these kind of crazy things. I'm talking about trying to generate excitement, etc., in a church by not doing the same things we've always done, by trying to replace those with things. And listen very carefully, at the end of the day, it'll be just like Jim Carrey. It'll be just like Lyle Alzado. It'll be just like Solomon. We'll reach out there to get it, and it won't be there. And let me explain what we'll have to do. We'll have to get wine, and that won't do it. And we'll have to get women, and that won't do it. And we'll have to get song, and that won't do it. We'll just have to keep going and going and going and going. So let's not throw rocks at the charismatics for the lunatic things that they do and have done and are still doing. But let's remember something. We have a whole huge movement in America today that is extremely popular called the progressive movement. And they are headed in the same exact direction. But preacher, whenever my song leader leads singing, we've got people that are asleep. They're snoozed out in the pews. And visitors are seeing this. Shouldn't we just have Brother Woodcock walk in front of the speakers and let them scream bloody murders to get them to wake up? (laughs) 
Isn't there something we could do to generate this, to make it happen? Here's what Solomon said. Seen the sunrise, seen the rainfall, seen the wind blow. Just old hat. There's nothing new under the sun. That's what he meant by this. It just goes on over and over and over again. And I'm bored to death with this, so I'm going to have to do something to fix this. I'm going to go out and I'm going to get wine and women and song. And you read it for yourself. It says it's vanity. But there is a cure. There's a cure for the problem. And the cure is not in trying to find something new. The cure is not trying to find something that will trip someone's trigger. The, the cure is not trying to generate something to get me or you to start liking the songs again or start singing the songs again or stay awake during the services. That's not the answer to this. Solomon waits to the end of the book. Now, I've contemplated this, and, I, and this is just my thinking. I think he waited till the end of the book to tell us how to fix this problem because he gives us a full, complete testimony of how he wrecked his life until he gets to this part of it, and now he starts talking about what the cure is. Take your Bibles and turn to the last chapter in the book of Ecclesiastes. The last chapter. Let me ask you a question. Do you know most of the songs that you sing in your church? Do you just sing those songs? Let's be honest with each other. Do we sometimes just sing them because we know the words? Sure we do. Don't sit there smug because you're the same as he is. Worse. Worse. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's true. Vanity of <laughs> Sure, you just sing them. And uh, you know when the preacher is supposed to preach, don't you? Yeah. And if he doesn't preach at that time, that's a little bit discombobulating, isn't it? Yeah. Or if, if your church would not take up an offering, don't say amen to that. If they were not to take up an offering, that would sort of disturb us a little bit if it didn't happen at the right time, the same thing in the same way. Uh, but let me share something with you. The answer, how old are you? 33. 33. The answer is not to tap into your culture of being 33 and figure out how to fix this. Because what, what trips your trigger at 33, how old are you? 44. Is going to be different than what trips his trigger at 44. So understand something. If we start trying to keep you both happy, we're going to have to rearrange things and what you're going to find out at the end of the day is, is some other church has something more exciting than the one that you're in. And then guess what's going to happen, my friend? After about five, six, seven, eight years, you're going to find out that another church has something more exciting than that church because you have gotten used to the routine of that church. 
no matter how out of routine they want to be to try to cure this problem, it will eventually come to the same routine and you'll just keep searching and searching and searching and searching until you're 75 or 80 years old and you'll be reaching out like Jim Carrey and like Lyle Alzado and saying, I reached and I tried to get a hold of this and it wasn't there and I ran over here and I reached over here and tried to get a hold of this and it wasn't there and it wasn't there and it wasn't there. And you'll be old men sitting at home doing nothing because you couldn't find it. Let me show you what it says in chapter 12, verse 11. The words of the wise are as goads and as nails fastened by the masters of assemblies, which are given from one shepherd. That's the cure. The cure is not more excitement. Let me explain something. If you get a diagnosis tomorrow that you're terminal, I'm going to tell you sunsets change their meaning. Amen. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I got that cancer diagnosis back in 2010. And I want to tell you, it rearranged how I thought about things. Because I was just passing over some things and not paying attention to some things and concentrating on this thing. And what I started realizing is what really is important. What really does matter. And I began to view those sunsets and sunrises and those mountains in a whole new light. The light that I saw them from when I first moved to Denver. The light that I understood when I first got saved. When I first got saved, I knelt down in front of a window the next morning in the bedroom of my house. I looked outside and the grass was greener than it had ever been. No, it was the same, but it was greener than it had ever been. The trees looked, everything looked different. Why, preacher? Because there was something different now between God and me. And that's what changed the problem, not changing the things around me. The trees were the same. The grass was the same. Everything was the same. My parents were the same two people, but they took on a whole new light because there was a different contact with God. And here's what he's telling us in this passage. He said it requires goads and nails. What do you mean, preacher? Let me explain what a goad is. If you've ever farmed, you probably farm with farm equipment that is power equipment, powered equipment. But these farmers farm with oxen. And they had a long stick that was very sharp on the end. And whenever they were plowing, and whenever those oxen would begin to veer off, they would take that goad and they would poke that oxen and the ox would go, and he'd step back in line. He would plow a little while longer and he would start moving off a little bit and they would poke that oxen and the oxen would go. <laughs> Their oxen is very ill if that's <laughs> The oxen bellows and moves back in line. But preacher, what's that nail all about? Glad you ask. Because it's the master of the assemblies coming from one shepherd. What does it mean, preacher? They would take a nail, and this is the same exact word that's used in the book of Ezra, for the nail that was placed in the tabernacle where they would hang the truth. 
the truth of the word of God was hung on that nail in the tabernacle. And he said, here's what it requires. It requires that we get stuck. And when we get stuck, we step back in line and we are established from that point on with the truth of the word of God. In other words, when God speaks to my heart, I no longer say, well, it's just another church service. Sun comes up, sun goes down. Rain comes up, rain goes down. I say, God is trying to do something. God is trying to get me in line. And when he gets me in line, I stay in line because that nail is where the truth is hung. In other words, that nail is hung in my life. It has changed my life now. And let me explain something. When that happens and you sing Amazing Grace, it's no longer just a song that we're singing over and over and over again. Now it's Amazing Grace that saved a wretch, a dirty, rotten, stinking wretch like me. Amen. It's a whole different thing when the preacher gets up and preaches. It's no longer, I hope he wakes me up when I get over. When he gets over with this, I hope that he shakes me awake somehow. I hope he does something that stirs me up, that gets me to come forward. No, listen, when the word of God is speaking to our hearts and it pokes us, it sticks us, and we step back into line and the truth of the word of God is now applied to my life, listen, no one will have to make you stay awake in a church service. When I first got saved, you couldn't have knocked me in the head with a hammer and put me out. As a matter of fact, Dr. Harold Seitler, some of you remember him, great preacher of the Word of God, came to my home church, was preaching through the book of Ruth. I hadn't been saved a long time, had just started going to church there, and he was up preaching, and I was sitting about two rows back. Not from the back, about two rows back. Amen. And I was sitting there like this. Yeah. I had never heard anything like this, because I hadn't heard the Bible before. And I was just absolutely overwhelmed. The second night, Dr. Seitler, very distinguished gentleman, is preaching and he looked down and he said, son, if you don't close your mouth, you're going to catch a fly. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing could deter me. Nothing could run me off. Nothing could get me to go do something else. I was just locked, lasered, focused into serving God. And I wanted to be awake at every moment, no matter what happened. Listen, I had no idea how to sing songs when I went. I didn't know that you sang line, 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 chorus, and then line, 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 chorus. I didn't know that. I honestly didn't know that. And I'm standing there struggling with this. A deacon walked over, put his arm around me, and said, I have hard times with that too. Let me show you how this works. I didn't say, I'm not coming back anymore. He came over and he spoke to me. I said, thank you. I appreciate that. I wanted to sing those songs. I wanted to hear the preaching of the word of God. I wanted to see people pray. I wanted to be a part of a Sunday school class. But that was 10,000 of them ago. Preacher, how do you stay like that? Not by changing it to make it more exciting or more appealing to our flesh. It's when God changes me. And he changes me by sticking me with the word of God. And when I go... We've got to practice. (laughs) When I go... That hurt, God. But I'm going to hit that altar like a ton of brick. And I'm going to get on my knees... 
And whatever that truth is, I want that in my life. So when I go back to the pew, you don't have to make me sing anymore. You don't have to conjole me and you don't coax me anymore. You don't have to do any of that anymore. Why? Because he's corrected me. I've accepted that correction. And now the truth is what's driving me as a Christian. And so now I'm excited about it. I want to go to church. Let me end with this. In 010, they diagnosed me with cancer. And they said, you're going to have to go through uh, radiation and chemo and all that. And I had no clue. I had no clue on this earth how that was going to go. Well, I went through about half the treatments, had zero, no effect on me whatsoever. And even the nurses kept saying, what is going on with you? This isn't doing anything to you. And I said, I don't know, but I just, I feel great. The next treatment... I mean, it was like the rug of everything pulled out from under me. I could hardly get up and walk. In two weeks, I got the shingles, I got the flu, and I got thrush twice. And it liked to kill me because I had to stay home from church. It was the first time since I had become a church member back in the 1970s that I had to stay home from church. And I want to tell you, when I got back to church, I was white as a ghost. My hair was falling out. I was sick as a dog. But I want to tell you, I had the most wonderful time. The choir got up and sang how good God was. I started bellowing and crying up on the platform. I couldn't preach. I just wanted to sit on the platform where I'd sat before. And I sat up there and someone got up and preached. We had preachers coming in and helping us out during that time. A preacher got up and preached. I want to tell you, it was, just the words were as sweet as honey. Let me tell you why. Same songs. Same words. Same preaching. No different than before. But something had happened. I got corrected. My view of things changed. Because I began to realize something. Everything that went on in that church service was absolutely critically important. And I wanted to be a part of it. Man. A live part of it. Yeah, amen. <laughs> So let me close with this. Eventually, if you're not now, you'll probably get bored with church. Eventually, it'll seem ho-hum. Eventually, you'll be tempted to sleep through the services. Eventually, you will just say to your mind, maybe not consciously, but in the back of your mind, you'll say, oh, I've sung this before. I've heard this before. I've done this before. Do you realize there are people that will never come back to church because they've been watching church online now and they see no need whatsoever to come back to church? Could I just say something to you? I hope you never get the diagnosis I got. But if you do, you'll be beating a path to get to that church. That sunset is not exciting anymore. Uh, just have a real encounter with God. And you'll stand out there and say, how beautiful, how wonderful that is. Why, preacher? Same sunset. That's not changed. 
Same sunrise, that's not changed. Same rainstorm, but something changed in me on this night. And that is, I said, God, I understand, I'm out of line, I'm not where I need to be, and thank you for... for goading me. Thank you for prodding me back in line. And God, thank you for the word that keeps me in line. Thank you for the word that restores that joy and that happiness so that I'm not just constantly reaching, trying to find something else and do something else, but I found it. I found it not in some big whoopee, not in some big huge meeting somewhere. I found it at an altar on my knees, getting right with you and letting you apply the word of God to my life with their heads bowed and their eyes closed. We're not going to have any singing. We're not going to have any coaxing. If you need to come to this altar, you know that. If you need to get something right with God, if it's just become ho-hum, maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's work. Maybe it's church. Maybe you would just make an altar right there where you're at. But whatever it is, my friend, listen very carefully. You'll not put the excitement back in your Christian life by trying to generate it through some carnal means. Solomon found that out. He found out the disaster of wine, women, and song. He got there just like Jim Carrey did, and it wasn't there. It was vanity of vanities. All is vanity. What he found out was this. He found out that the truth of the Word of God that pokes us and prods us so many times to get us back in line with Him and then it is hung on our in our lives with that nail in the tabernacle. And I love this. It's coming from one shepherd. It's coming from the shepherd, the shepherd of our lives, Jesus Christ. If you need to come, come on. If you need to stay there and just say, God, I want to get this right tonight. I want to get this straightened out. I want to tell you, it'll put that... I hate to use this word, but it'll put that zing back in your service again. It'll put that spring back in your step once again. If you need to come, why don't you come?